Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Fizzband's been keeping secrets, but now they are ready to be revealed. With the new book, Fizzband's Vault of Draconic Secrets, you'll discover a wealth of never-before-seen draconic power. The over 50-page book from Splinterverse Media includes dragon-themed subclasses for every class. Artificers can harness the power of gems as a gemologist. Druids can transform into dragons as members of the Circle of Scales. Rangers can track and hunt massive monsters as dragon stalkers. Warlocks can be empowered by the Great Worm Patron. And these are just four of the dragon archetypes that await you inside this book. Whether you're looking to bring draconic flair to character creation or level up your game with dragon-inspired feats, horde magic items, draconic gifts, trinkets, adventure hooks, and more. Fizzband's Vault of Draconic Secrets has everything you need to get your dragon on. Available now on the Dungeon Master's Guild. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So today, Liwanika and I uh, wanted to sit down and break down some of the content which has been appearing on our actual play feed. We're going to talk tonight about the first three missions that have been run from the Candlekeep Mysteries book that came out almost six months ago now at this point. It was like April or May when that book came out. It was We're going to break down... Yeah, it was some time ago. Yeah. Um, uh, and man, we have had so much fun running this actual play with our patrons. That's been such, just like it has been more fun uh, than one should legally be allowed to have on a, on a Saturday afternoon. But it sure enough has been just an absolute blast playing with our patrons through these missions. And so we wanted to sit down and talk about how it went and sort of what we felt about the missions and how they were constructed. So, uh, you know, as always, uh, Mr. Miller, how are we doing this fine Thursday evening? Doing very well. It's been a crazy week. We've had amazing things happen. Um, <laughs> our episodes don't come out in the order that we record them. That's uh, correct. For all kinds of scheduling reasons. But this week included recording an AP with uh, collaborations from other folks. I actually recorded on the show with one of those other collaborators last night. Tonight, we're back in the saddle. Talking Candlekeep because candle are really, they're really good. 
honestly, we want to break it down and talk about our experiences. Josh is going to get into how the modules were constructed from the storyteller perspective, what he used, what he didn't use, that kind of good stuff. And I'm going to dig in from the player perspective, what I experienced and the things that I really found intriguing and interesting. And I want to kind of, I want to start on that point first on kind of actual plays in general, because I, I think that it is fair to say that both of us, when we started this podcast, had no idea that we were going to be doing an actual play. They weren't really our thing. <laughs> like oh, I didn't, oh. I didn't really listen to them. You didn't really listen to them. Neither of us had ever played in one. Neither of us had ever run one, obviously. So I think that we did it for all the right reasons, right? When Candlekeep came out, it was a unique opportunity and it gave us a unique chance to give something really special back to our patrons. I think it's if we're being totally honest and we try to be very uh, uh, transparent with everybody out there listening, I did not think when we started this podcast that we would be diving into an actual play. That sort of, it came up organically, which is great, but I was surprised that that happened. How do you feel about that? Almost exactly the same with one exception. I have been in an actual play for over a well. Oh, that's right. With Spiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Streams of Spiro. uh, It's an amazing gaming experience. The beauty of that game for me is it is with one of my oldest friends and great, great storyteller, uh, as well as several other people that I haven't played with. Basically, the people I used to game with when I was in Maine. But I also got the opportunity to meet two newer folks to the fold people that have been with that group in the years after I moved out of state. So they're well known by that group, but I've in the last year or so got to know them and I count among my great friends, not good friends, great friends. So I've been doing it for a bit, but I also started with close, close people. So it was not that much of a stretch. I kind of figured at some point we would do it. I did not expect as fast as we ended up doing it, but really it came from the patrons. Like, if we're going to do a Patreon, as almost every podcast and YouTube channel, Discord channel, as they all do, we felt it was important. We had to give something that was different, special, something unique from us that something was unique, beyond yeah. beyond simply getting an episode early, which is awesome, but it had to be beyond that. And that's really where the AP for our channel was born. And yep. I think, like you said, for all the right reasons... But it wasn't something that we gravitated to naturally. In the interest of being thoroughly honest, I had only twice listened to actual plays prior to the Mr. Dave episode that we had here at the beginning yeah. of the year, uh, where we were, or actually just after that, where we where Mr. Dave suggested that we watch the puppet one, and we did an episode on it. So we did that, and then I watched a few more, and I do listen to the actual plays on a couple different channels now. So I yep. think actual plays are a great thing for the hobby. They're an amazing thing for our channel. Uh, we will continue to strive to bring more and more to our the folks that listen to us. And that's yep. really where this episode is coming in. We've yep. done three ep- three sessions or three missions from Candlekeep, and we want to talk about them and how that played out in our actual plays. Cool. So let's go ahead and dive in here. And so. Let me let me start with a little bit of background, I guess, on kind of where the actual play is. And if you haven't been following the actual play, um, you can go directly to the Tabletop Journeys website, www.ttjourneys.com. Uh, and if you uh, if you click on our field trips playlist, you'll see all of the episodes that 
are in kind of our actual play so far. There are 11 episodes as of uh, this week. The final episode for session three just dropped. Um, and, uh, you can you can go ahead and check those out. Each episode winds up around an hour or so, um, and then generally after all of the uh, the episodes within a particular session are done, uh, we'll also put out kind of a roll up of the entirety of the mission, uh, and those tend to be three and a half to four hours long. So if you prefer to listen to them in whole, you can go ahead and do that. Um, or if you like the episodic, uh, they come out every other week on Tuesday. They come out opposite our side quest episodes so on Tuesdays. So um, so that's the first thing, um, and the entire intention with the actual play the way that we built it uh was again was as an invitation game for our patreon subscribers now we have more than five or six patreon subscribers which is which is kind of the ideal number for the games that we wanted to run um and so the way that we do that is basically uh when we decide on possible dates we throw it out to our patrons and then the first date with six players uh wins and those six players get an invitation to the game so that kind of is the the first kind of conceit that you had to that we have to kind of uh, uh, look at on this is that the game was designed with a rotating cast of characters. We were never going to have, well, in theory, never have the same six players every single month. Um, Liwanika and Glenn both had uh, player characters that they could sub in if we needed to go ahead and add additional characters. Um, but the game was designed around that whole concept of a rotating cast of characters. So um, I guess as a player. Uh, for you, Lewinikin, as someone, uh, so I know you didn't play in session three, but you did listen to session three. Um, what were your thoughts on that? How did that translate across with with the rotating cast, not having the same characters every month, and all that kind of thing? I thought it played very well into the these are separate missions, not quote unquote designed as a campaign thought process behind Candlekeep. Yeah, I also we'll get into thought, that in a second too. <laughs> yeah, but I also thought it worked really well with the story that we ended up building. And I say ended up because it some of this stuff happened organically. Some of it was by determined plan. But I will say that if you have a group of separate people from different places, because everybody made their own character. These weren't pre-gens. These weren't designed by the storyteller or what have you. Everybody just made up their own character, came up with their own backstory, background, that type of thing. Really, Josh will speak to it in more detail, but the great question he asked is, why are you here, and what's the book that you bring? Yeah. Yep. And those two questions, I took it as, I will use that to inform what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And sitting next to the players in this game, everybody did the same. So yeah. it, was, it was really brilliant some of the people we played with, I had played with before or story told for before, or in some case, or in one case, used to story tell for me. Others are people I had not played with at all before. Some were people I had done other games with, but had never done D&D with. And as our patron group grows, as our travelers and kinfolk continue to grow, it's going to expand. There are going to be more and more new people to meet and watch game and yep. get new perspectives. Uh, yeah. A very good friend of mine that I've known for 20 plus years played in one of the games and he had one of the most amazing characters and the voice he put on this character was mm. absolutely brilliant. I'll talk more about Anon later. Um, yeah. oh, Anon was amazing. Yeah. But I, I, I literally sat there mouth agape and in awe. There was a couple times where I actually thought I was letting everybody down because I'm just like, that was so cool. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's me. We're on me now. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was kind of <laughs> thankfully, Gene, he's not specifically turn based until you get yep. down that. But it, it, it was pretty amazing to watch that level of role play. Yeah, I was really happy with the way that everybody uh, everybody bought in, right? Like there are when you're starting a brand new campaign, like I don't care who you are, but when you're starting with a brand new campaign, and especially with a brand new campaign with with for the most part players that had never played at my table before. Um, in fact, in that first game, we talked about this at the time. Nobody at that table had played at my table before, uh, you know, for as long as Lee Wanika and I have been role-playing together, uh, he had never sat at my table uh, and, and thrown rocks with me. And so there's always that sort of uh, intimidation that as a storyteller that you can fall that you can fall into where it's like, okay, is this actually going to work? Am I actually going to be able to pull this off? That was a critical thing for me to get the players to buy into the game. Was I? I wanted them to immediately be in their character's mindset from the get go, so that I didn't have to. To be frank, because so that I didn't have to worry too much about world about about party building. Right? I wanted them all to have a reason to be there. I wanted them to come up with that reason, and I wanted them, just like you did with Simeon, to use the book and the reason that they were going to Candlekeep to inform the background of their character. You know, and then the the other thing that I did uh, before we even technically started the, the game, before we ever technically started the first mission, was, you know, I do a lot of collaborative role-playing. And again, I wanted everybody from the drop to be as immersed in their character as absolutely possible. And so uh, when all of you got into that carriage uh, and all of you were heading in the same place, you know, I wanted you all to, to get into character. I ran you basically through a role-playing exercise to go ahead. And I didn't even know at the time if that was going to be anything that we would keep for the episode or not. I really didn't, you know, but that whole bit about how, you know, they, they came across that, the, uh, the, the disaster in the village off on the horizon and all these, all the things that they were seeing on the road, there you know uh i think the the tremendous um our friend from the uk who played illidaz you know a tremendous character on uh, the way that they were kind of bringing about and let's be honest you know again we set out with this to be all independent missions we were not going to connect them we were not running a campaign like i think like in our prediction meetings we were like very adamant about that about how we are not running a campaign 16 17 independent missions Bam. Like, that's what we're going to do. By the end of the first mission, this is oh, a yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really at the end at the end of that collaborative role-playing role scenario. Because, like, again, like, yeah, we played through the first mission with the strength of the role-players at the table. It required a, a world around it. it I, like, it wouldn't have been believable, I don't think, for those characters if we had just said, okay, here you are, you're in Candlekeep in my opinion, in my feeling was that it needed that, that wrapper. It needed that, that window dressing, um, or it wouldn't have worked. And I'm going to put air quotes around the downside to that decision was that when we built a world around Candlekeep and we fleshed out what was happening around Candlekeep, we found ourselves fleshing out an entire campaign, which, which continues. So, you know, for better or for worse, we kind of, uh, you know, we, we, we set out to go ahead and run a fun game and stumbled into a, stumbled into writing a campaign. So, you know, I'm okay with that. Oh, absolutely. I'm absolutely, I love the direction that this has gone. I absolutely oh, yeah. love it. So I built a character, which was almost a lark, just this side of a lark. We started this <laughs> almost immediately after we had finished our fighter. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, you, you built Simeon out of spite. Yeah. And 
And basically, Josh had uh, really loved this one subclass that I yep. specifically did not like. Yep. The Banneret. I loved it. Still and love it. I, out of spite, said, well, it looks like we're, they're going to need a fighter just in case. So I'll build this guy, even though he's level one, and we'll definitely set him up to be a Banneret and see how that goes. And then I built the character. And then the character itself was very cool just at first level before even any of the Banneret stuff came in. Getting to play this character to the point where I am now a banneret and I am getting yeah. some of those some of those things. You know, I did my research, I learned about the Cormier. There's some great YouTube sites where you can fill in some of the gaps on what it means to be a purple dragon and all of that and the different ranks and all of that. So I could really uh yeah. emphasize those things. But I, I gotta tell you, I just love the character. This is a great character it took some interesting angles with it and he's so complimentary to the other players that was kind of the one thing i i felt was very important to do for me which is to play a character that could be complimentary to the others uh, i didn't want him to be a scene stealer i wanted him to be a scene enabler and uh, yep. I, and honestly i think one of the coolest things about the, the that especially that first mission is everybody was so good at the handoff yeah Nobody really robbed scenes from my perspective. Everybody just, oh, here's this and this, and you know, and what would you think, you know, and what would you do, and that, and it yeah. really started with that collaborative world building exercise. The first time I'd ever been a part of that, by the way, yeah, and yeah. that story that started there was something that happened as it passed through th th four different characters, and by the end of it, I was like, I got to know more. Even yeah. though logically, I knew we were creating it as we were going along. Right, right. It just begged itself to be explained. And we're going to do an entire episode on collaborative world building, so I'm not going to go ahead and dive into this too deeply. However, I will just say this. That's the coolest thing about collaborative world building is that I didn't have to come up with the singular event that now is driving the entirety of the campaign. I didn't have to come up with it. What I had to do as the storyteller was nurture it and let it grow. But that seed was given to me by a player. It's the best gift in the world when a player says, you know what? There's a village over there and that village is on fire. And then I get to go ahead and say, okay, well, why is that village on fire? And what's happening there? You know, now here we are, we're, we have already played the fourth session. We're about to go ahead and play the fifth session soon. And we're already talking scheduling for the sixth session. That seed, that gift that I was given from one of my players uh, has become this wicked beanstalk <laughs> up to the castle where the giants live. Uh, and it is, uh, it's fabulous. So let's, let's, uh, let, let's not get bogged down too far in that here. So let, let's start first. So we started uh, the AP, the first mission uh, was the first chapter in the book, The Joy of Extra Dimensional Spaces, which was a super strong first chapter. Like, I mean, this mission as an entry-level mission for entry-level characters, there is so much that is good about this mission. Uh, the thing that struck me more than anything else was the way that the writer, Michael Polkinghorne, wrote the mission in such a way that, I mean, it's basically, it's an episode in a jar, right? Uh, the the All the players wind up in an extra dimensional space and have to figure out how to get out. That's the entire, that's, that's the gist of the mission. And then once they get out, 
there is just a spider web of possibilities of where they can go next with what they have learned. And that is a really difficult thing to do, to write an entirety of a mission that is satisfactory and complete and feels well-rounded and has good things and has challenges like poor Sabian getting hit with books over and over and over again, you know, like that's, <laughs> which has basically become a running joke in the rest of the game. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. But things that happened in that first, things that happened in that first session have continued to go ahead and come up over and over again. It is really difficult to write a mission that is that complete and yet is such a great starting point for a first level party. Once you get into it, like once we, got into the mission and we stepped through the portal, so to speak, we were there, right? So the adventure kind of allows you to take starting level characters and, and actually it would be a very good one for starting level players. It really yeah. was, oh, it was, it was great. Really yeah. well suited for that and say, now you're stuck. The goal is to find a way out. It's a very simple premise. It's very easy to understand. It's very easy to, to, to get, but it was very compelling. Um, uh, and I think part, part of that is just the, the strength of what was written. I did not read the adventure, by the way. I have looked at some notes and excerpts from it since after playing it. Uh, but I can tell that it was, it was done well in that regard. Uh, but certainly the way it was story told lended itself to it. Like, we at that point didn't have a mission other than the thing we were doing. There was yep. no overarching plot at that point other than we're looking for this guy. He's here. He's supposed to be here. And by the way, we got to get out. So it was yeah. find a dude and get all of us out of here. You know, uh, that made it very interesting and, and very compelling. Like we had to know what we hit. We had to continue. And then doing so worked. Yeah, it was it was really uh, it was really just fantastic. You know, it's funny when you when you play through a canned module like that, um, there are decisions that are made at the table that are not covered by the book right because there's no way that any one canned mission over the course of 20 something pages can cover every possibility of things that would come up at the table you know and it's it's funny when i read through the mission so if if uh if those of of those of our listeners who have listened to the first session, the first AP session here, will think back. It was a big deal that when they were lost within the mansion, Simeon, you know, in his gleaming armor, all of first level, newly minted knight. Well, actually, he wasn't even minted. He was still a first level character, so he wasn't even minted. He was, he was potentially, hopefully, maybe becoming a knight. A kid not big enough to wear his daddy's armor, so to speak, so to speak with Simeon, right? Who was so insistent that the way for them to find their way out was to put their hand on the wall, on the left-hand wall, and always walk to the left. So here's the funny thing, and I think that I've mentioned this before, but if you read through the module with the way that certain things are placed within the mission, it seemed obvious to me that the intention from the writer was for all the characters to go to the right all the time. So from the get-go, dear Simeon, my friend, you f***ed me. (laughs) (laughs) And so like some some examples in there, right? So like, um, for example, if you remember um, in the kitchen that you guys found about halfway through with the... uh, um, not the not the fairy dragons, but the, the um, 
The homunculi. Yep. The homunculi were basically the people in the mission who were going to give you the plot about how to get out. They were going to tell you certain things about what you were going to encounter. However, at the point that you encountered them, you had already gone through the entire, they were the last, one of the last things that you encountered on the first floor. Uh, And you had already encountered the stack of books found the first several books that you needed to go ahead and find your way out of the mission. Um, And I don't think that you had gone to the Arboretum yet and encountered the fairy dragons, but if you hadn't encountered them yet, you were just about to. What that meant is that when those characters had to come up, I needed to go ahead and come up with something else for them to do instead, right? Um, and so that's when you know they were cooking you soup, you know, ultimate in in hospitality, all that sort of things. You know, but fr- from the get go, right? Here is you know when you when you talked about like you know not just first level characters, but also entry level players, right? Entry level players, they get a secret right from the very beginning. They get stuck in this mansion, and here, here's the, the the MacGuffin. Here's your plot device. Here's what you need to do. Here is you know the, the the sage old man that lives in the rocking chair that tells you how you get out, right? And and you guys totally avoided that. Went to the exact opposite direction and wound up finding them eventually, right? You know, so that that's uh for better or for worse, you know. Those are the kind of things that happen with a canned module is that sometimes, you know, and I'd say if there is any weakness to the first mission, it's that. It's that it seems pretty clear that it was written in such a way with one decision early on was totally off the rails and sideways. I I think it was cool despite the fact we went the wrong way. Our group figured out what we were doing before we got to the end because there was always a possibility that we had the books or knew where they were and left them uh, and just kept trucking and then got the word anyway. Uh, yep. But we had, because of some great thought process and folks in the group asking the right questions, making the right roles. Yep. Me forcing the out. issue on some level too. Yeah. You know, again, I wanted to make sure that if you weren't going to get the information from the imps, that you absolutely had to find the information some other way. Right. So. Which is a great storyteller uh, pro tip. Never have knowledge of how to succeed or get through the module be based on one point of failure. Always yep. have a way, an, a, an alternative way to deliver that information. Yeah, I would say that slightly differently, right? So remember that your job as a storyteller is, in fact, to tell the story, right? Holding back information because the players didn't do exactly the right thing to learn it doesn't do anybody any good. In, in, but in particular, it doesn't do your players any good. It's going to make a frustrating game for you as a storyteller. It's going to make a frustrating game for them as a player. Because I think that if you guys had found the imps, had passed through two rooms that had books in them, but you guys hadn't picked up on the fact that there were books in there, I think you guys rightly would have called shenanigans. So. Yeah. So moving through, we got to the second floor. We uh, and, and this is not a play-by-play because we really want folks to listen to the, to the episodes. Yes, they're great. Not just the mechanics of the module, but the actual role play from the players oh, so um, was, I found it awesome to behold uh, as a player joining them. And like I said, there was times during the course of the games I played in where I was just like, wow. And the one game I didn't play in, because I'm part of the show, I actually listened while <laughs> it was being recorded. So uh, I, I got to watch that one live, uh, which was really neat. So I think it was a really good, a a great way to do that. But the mission was fairly well designed. The big puzzle of the adventure was clever, 
but not so complex that it couldn't be figured out with the right clues given. There were multiple points of potential failure, multiple points of, of success. It got everybody involved. I The one thing I was worried about going in was, would there be any combat versus light or low? I found that this had... Well, it put me out in one in the first round, so I it was pretty damn adequate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it had all the right things. I love the fact that it centered a lot on the exploration pillar. Yep, I really yeah. This was very much exploration. Yeah, uh, exploration pillar, role play pillar, with just a little bit of combat to spice it up. Uh, yep. It was a great startup, and I was glad I was a fighter. Uh, but that first hit, man. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that that was that's one thing that is going to come about is that um as the missions go along, they have more combat and when in doubt that is what I am cutting out of the games to be honest. Less so in the next one that we're going to talk about, but certainly when we talk about the third one, when we talk about the Book of the Raven, there is definitely opportunity there for that to be more than one four or five hour game. And that's so that's kind of the other thing, too, is that we have to keep in mind that I am running each of these chapters or rather these chapters are being run as single five hour sessions. And we are definitely time capping them because uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, one of the reasons is that one of our players was based in the UK. So, you know, when we're playing from noon until five, you know, with a five hour time difference in the UK, that's 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday or a Sunday night, not always uh, optimal time. In fact, I think our first game was actually on a Sunday. And so, you know, yeah. um, Illidaz, we love you and miss you. Hope you come back soon. When in doubt, it's the combat that I'm cutting out. I'm absolutely focusing on the story, the RP, and the exploration. And combat is, for me, sort of the the shiny chocolate layer over this wonderfully made cake that I'm getting in the middle. So That adventure ended in a unique way, which was not specific. Well, correction. It was in the adventure that the character Matrius met a fate. We're not going to yes. discuss what that fate is. That you have to listen to the episode for. But <laughs> it was not specifically written, if I if I am correct. That was or what that what that fate was written. What we correct. did with it was what you constructed and basically made this instead of the first mission in a series of missions, the first mission in a campaign. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so I will say too that. So you're right. So the the fate that Matras meets at the end of the first chapter is in the book. Right. That is absolutely the way that it ends. However, being a campaign oriented storyteller, I could not leave it there. <laughs> right. I could not. Uh, I was no good at that. Um, and so we find ourselves then talking into the second mission and how this feeds right in. And we get into Mathsroth's Mighty Digressions. And so Mathsroth's Mighty Digressions picks up for in our game, picks up anyway, right where the last game left off. If you remember correctly, uh, session two begins with all of you sitting around uh, the hearth, which is that large tavern in the ce- in the central court of Candlekeep. A new party of adventurers arrives at Candlekeep. New. This is the first time that we meet Alari. It's the first time that we meet Anon. Um, and with them comes this exceptionally mousy NPC half-elf. 
I'll rise a furbolg and Inon is a turtle. So um, between those two, there's there's a lot of a lot of beef on the hoof, right? With those two characters, and then you get this this, this tiny nervous little half elf who comes along with them. Um, and chapter two for me began with a combat. Uh, because the whole concept of Mass Mighty Digressions is that um, books are being replaced with these demonic spirits called Gingwatsums, right? You know, again, when I was trying to figure out, it's like, okay, so I've got this party of characters. How do I get them into the fact that this happens? They had given a couple of different options in the book, uh, but what I decided to get to do again was I created a, I created an NPC. That NPC was coming to Candlekeep, much like you guys as characters were, um, and his book, the book that he bought, happened to be one of these cursed books, right? And then I sort of had a challenge on my hands, right? And this this is again when we talk about kind of like in the storyteller toolbox, right? This is one of those challenges that can be tricky. How do you get players, players and characters, to actually give a crap about the mission that you want them to go on, right? Because, I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade, right? The group of you that was sitting in the hearth, uh, there were four of you at, the, at this point, I guess, in, in the hearth from the previous mission, had just disappeared into a pocket dimension, come back. Some of you had taken various uh, various hits, various, you know, you were injured in various ways, everything like that, blah, blah, blah. And so here you are in the hearth and something else happens. You as individuals totally would have been within your rights to just say, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. I'm he- I- I'm here doing a thing. I'm just, let me just get out of here so I don't get blood on me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right like like any no, any rational character would have made that decision i have a response for that and and it really yeah. comes from the player perspective first of all rational characters are not adventurers you're an adventurer that means you're leaving your house where you have heat food water companionship to go elsewhere where all of those things are in jeopardy so yeah. nobody rational or truly rational makes that decision. Yeah. And with great respect to soldiers and servicemen and people who put themselves in harm's way for the benefit of others every single day, that is not a rational decision. It is in many and most cases a, an extremely heroic decision, but it is not by my, at least my loose definition of rational, rational. When people go out to do those things, it is because they have at their core the heart of an adventurer, whether that adventurer is a warrior, a healer, a storyteller, a recorder of great deeds. There are so many different ways it can be. Maybe she is a creator of of things that can be utilized for heroic purpose. Um, There are numbers of ways in which going on an adventure can, can play out rationality isn't all of it. We saw it in The Hobbit when The Hobbit said, this is the farthest I've ever been from from my home. And then they take that one step and the weight of the film changed. There was a weight to everything that happened after that moment where it was light and breezy up until that point. That's when it's like, this is real now. And when we did Session Zero, one of the things that uh, our our co-host Glenn talks about all the time is, Come with a character who wants to be a part of the adventure and finds reasons to do it. 
So while yep. there may be reasons why you wouldn't, the goal of a player at a table with the purpose of playing the game is to find reasons to do it. The players yep. we have were all in on that aspect. So even though there's oh, sure. any number of reasons to go elsewhere, we were all pretty much in. The storyteller's job is to provide a meaningful and useful method of making facilitating that. The better yeah. the storyteller does that, the, the more natural it feels and the more immersion you get, the better yeah. that when it becomes an episode for us becomes. The reason why I think the episode really hums is because it absolutely made sense. Like, yeah, fair enough. And and that's sort of first of all, I appreciate all that. That that's that's fantastic um, to hear from the player's perspective because from the so I had sort of dueling perspectives coming at this. So I had from the storyteller point of view where it's like, well, my players are sitting at my table. They want to play in the game. I don't really have to convince them. I don't have to do much to convince them. I'm I'm I can feel fairly certain that if I throw a if I throw a quest in front of them and the quest rolls over and shows its pale white belly, they'll pet it. Like I'm not going to worry about that. I think that I, as a storyteller, owed something to the characters to make sure that the characters wanted to come too, so that the players didn't find themselves in a position where they had to kind of force their character in. But the other thing is that as a host on the show, I also knew that we were trying to put out an entertaining product. And what I didn't want is for listeners to hear it and be like, ugh, this is so stupid. They wouldn't do that, right? They There is no reason why they would do that. And so I went with the with the classic old trope that when in doubt, the people at Candlekeep were pissed that their books were turning into monsters. They didn't really have time to investigate it. So they hired the party. They said, we will give you stuff. We will give you magic items from our library if you solve this mystery for us and bring back our books. Because that's really all that that's that's really all that the avowed at Candlekeep care about are their books. I mean that's that's really why they're all there. I thought that this that this second mission had some really fantastic role playing hooks. Um, and again, I did not dive into all of them. You know, uh, a sprocket went off to go ahead and do his investigation on the uh, on the residue when you guys killed the first book in the in the tavern there. Um, the role play that Simeon had with Valor, the the tiefling NPC in the court, um, when he found that uh, that Valor was was formerly a purple dragon and had uh, had resigned her commission in order to become a bounty hunter. That was one of my favorite role-playing scenes uh, right there. Like that was that you stole that, that scene, but even just like on the journey to Baldur's Gate, you want to talk about, about uh, missteps as a storyteller that you can make. Sometimes you sometimes have to just wish that, wish that nobody sees it and everyone just kind of glazes past it. So if you remember on the journey to Baldur's Gate, right, there was uh, there was a scene where you guys were all sitting around a fire. You're about a day out of uh, out of Candlekeep on your way to Baldur's Gate, which is like a three-day journey. You're all sitting around the fire. We do a collaborative world-building scene. Cass tells her wonderful story about the werewolves, and then all of a sudden Sprocket gets scared. He's convinced that he sees something in the bushes. Come to find out that you guys are about to get attacked by six were by six were rats and a, uh, by by, a, by six giant rats and a were rat. Now I know that as the storyteller, but you guys don't. So the whole thing with that is that that should have happened on the last night of your journey, but in my hubris and in my I mean, I, I made a mistake. I did it on the first night instead of the last night of your journey. And after it was done, one of the players brought up, hey, 
we're only a day away from Candlekeep. Why don't we go back and get healed and then start again? And it's like, oh, oh crap. Nope, I need to keep them moving forward. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't actually remember why you guys decided to keep on going forward. Uh, I, I don't, I don't honestly remember what it was, but it was, but that was one of those moments uh, where, for me as the storyteller, I was like, uh oh, nope, nope. I need them to keep going forward. All of the plot is that way. Please don't turn around. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and you know, that's just one of those things that, like, you know, storytellers out there listening. Those things are going to happen like that's, you know, and so hopefully, hopefully you can, you can talk your way around it. Um, you know, but I think honestly, at that point, what I would have done, if you had gone back to Candlekeep, I would have just narrated, narrated through it and said, okay, yep, you go back to Candlekeep, you get all healed up, you get a nice rest, you get back on the road and boom, now we're at Baldur's Gate. So the scene still happened. You guys did what you wanted to go ahead and do, but instead when you went to Baldur's Gate, the first thing that Illidaz did was he went to go seek out that Church of Torm, uh, that corrupt, corrupt Church of Torm that he found in Baldur's Gate to go ahead and, and get your healing. And so it spawned a fantastic role-playing opportunity. But man, that was one of those that I was like, I, as soon as I said it, I was like, uh-oh, I, I'm in trouble here. Hopefully, I'm hoping that this works out. Did you know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. And thank you for enjoying the show. My recollection of that was more of, why do we go back? And, and, and I think part of it was more me... Uh, a little meta it's like at a game we finish a long rest most of us are going to be mostly healed up uh and the few that we're not will make it through the next day we've got a healer so if there's an emergency we'll make it you know we i didn't want to lose time on the mission plus from a narrative standpoint my character is an investigator i was sent to investigate something to go back empty yeah. handed to then say oh i'm not done yet I right. probably wasn't signing up for that anytime soon. Yeah. I needed to be able to get in motion, get where I had to go, do the things that needed to be done. And I, I truly think that that really would have made uh, the big difference for me is just making sure that I got where we had to go to finish the mission before I went back to the people who hired me. I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did because it made for a much more compelling story for you to go. And then that kind of gave you the introduction into how Baldur's Gate in this new universe kind of runs. It's kind of a seedy place. There's a, you know, it's kind of got like that big city stink of corruption everywhere, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and that's just kind of, that's the vision of Baldur's Gate that I put forward when we walked in there. And it also worked in the story because here's the other thing about this kind of second chapter is that, there are both parts of the second chapter that 
we did not get into, right? Um, there's a lot about kind of what else was happening in the bazaar, and there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of like side questy type things that you could have gone on in the bazaar. I ignored all that stuff, all of it, carte blanche, because we just didn't have the time. Like I needed to go ahead and uh, we needed to kind of keep the through line for the quest pretty tight to get through it in the amount of time that we had there. There's also a lot of things that organically came out during that. The whole discussion that you had or that everybody had with the jackal wares about, you know, you're inherently evil. Like you, you know, you can't, we can't just let you go. Um, and the jackal wares are just like, what are you talking about? We're kids. Like we just, we just want, we just want to live our lives. We haven't done anything to you. Just let us go. That whole, and that became a major a major point of the episode, including when Alarai revealed to you all that they're a changeling. When you guys were having this argument about, no, you're a jack, you don't understand, you're a jackal, you're inherently evil, we can't let you just go. And she's like, well, I mean, I can do that too. And she turns into Kess, which Kess was just like absolutely enamored with. And all the rest of you were like, huh. I mean, like that, that face that you made is still immortalized like it's fantastic you know yeah i loved that moment because it was one of the things that you and i have talked about on the show a few times uh, it's one of those issues of where you kind of can allow this fictional game world to touch on real world topics in a meaningful yeah. way not heavy-handed not oppressive like damn now i'm depressed but in a way that says says something about the people who are there. No group of people, no race, lineage, species is inherently one thing or the other. And we have, you and I have run games that touch on this topic for years. Yeah. However, we have found since the time that this podcast has started that this hobby is slowly coming around. Specifically, D&D is slowly coming around. And it's more and more, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, some of our collaborations and the people we follow and chat with on Twitter, you know, some of the, the brilliant people we've dealt with, that yeah. uh, the concept of other is bad and same is good is no longer valid. And it never was, by the way. It is now uh, being canonized in the game as being no longer valid. Uh, we're going to talk about that in future episodes and many future episodes, but... I think that's such a powerful thing. And honestly, in our very second session of actual play, to get a scene that really calls that home, yep. amazing. Yeah. It's really awesome to be a part of. Um, and for something that just grew out of the game was organic. It was just part of the conversation. It wasn't, uh, okay, on night two at 435, we're going to have uh, mission statement one. It was just the way the game came together with the people who were playing the game in that moment at that time, that natural flow, which is so yep. brilliant. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, and it's like, that was such a great moment to have emerge that like, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of story about why the Jackal wares were doing what they were doing and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff that was in the mission. And that all very much became secondary because the gameplay itself came to such a satisfying conclusion that to 
lay on more than what had happened really, I think would have done the role play a little bit of a disservice. So that's, you know, that's again, I mean, so this is, this is very much kind of becoming a, a tips and tricks for storytellers kind of episode, but um, you know, just remember storytellers that plot points are like salt, right? There is a point where you can throw too many out there and they dilute or spoil the rest of the game. So be careful, you know, you can trot them out slowly. Role play is garlic. You can never have too much. Right. Plot Role play points, is garlic. Exactly. Yeah. Plot points, <laughs> that's salt. And you can salt. you can pretty quickly get there. Exactly. Um, yep. So from Mazfront's Mighty Digressions. Yeah. The group solves the mission. A couple things that I did want to point out happened there in the role play that I thought were personally satisfying was Simeon's really bonding with Kess as they did things in the marketplace. And uh, yeah. that that little brief is really quick. Um, the police were going to catch up to us. And uh, as Simeon, I said, well, I'm an investigator. So I went up to him and I said um, in something that will make SCA members uh, skin crawl just a wee bit. Uh, I just <laughs> gave them the old cop thing. I'm on the job. And uh, <laughs> it was great for the fantasy role play. Everybody kind of got what I was saying, and it was a lot of fun to do. And yeah. the, the role I had to make, thank God I made it because <laughs> um, I don't think it was a great point, but it worked really well and it allowed the, the mission to continue. Yeah, you didn't get into a secondary combat, and it was pretty, it was, it was fun. It was, yeah, and it was for me a bit of a lightning rod moment for the character and what he wanted to be and how he wanted to proceed throughout his career. I, I love how self-important Simeon is in the most sort of innocent way. Sometimes there are characters that think that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread and it just they're just smarmy about it. Simeon thinks that he's the great that he's fantastic at what he does and he's very good at what he does, but it's he's not smarmy about it. You know, like he's still kind of like he's still kind of approaching things with, with the wide-eyed innocence of of someone who just doesn't know the way the world works and so like the, again just to kind of let you behind the screen a little bit there with that with that scene right there when Simeon goes up to the cop and says don't worry you know I'm on the job really what you were rolling for was whether or not the cop gave a crap enough to actually press you on it that was really that was what you were rolling for at the end of the day it's are you being Smart, are are you being uh, uh, such a way that the cop is actually going to think arresting you is worth the time or not? And at the end of the day, that was more just like, just knock it off. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, stop it. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a great moment. But I I love the way that Simeon kind of transformed in that where he's kind of coming into his own. He is starting to realize who he is and what he is. And man, if he's just a little bit better, he'll be there, you know? It's like that's yeah. So that's yeah. Well, there's a little bit of Columbo in Simeon. I think it's probably <laughs> the way I like it. Yeah, yeah. He's very yeah. much a Columbo style investigator. Uh, oh, so great reverence to Peter Falk. Thank you very much, sir, for uh, all the years of really, really fun TV. But yeah, so moving on to the th the third mission. This is yeah, the, the Book of the Raven. Indian. Book of the uh, Raven. Which honestly, I, I'll be uh, as a storyteller. This was my favorite of the three. As as good, as, you know. So there's nothing wrong with Mad Sauce Mighty Digressions of the three. 
you know, one of them has to be third, and it's that one, right? My 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 first one was Book of the Raven. My second one was was uh, uh, the Joy of Extra Dimensional Spaces, because I really felt in this one that it's weird when I say my favorite. What I mean is I felt that as a game, we all cohesed in such a way. And the quest itself was so good. It was just so good. There was so much meat on this bone. But man, to go ahead and fit it into five hours, did I have to hack that meat away and really get down to the bone. Like really, really trim away everything that I didn't want to go ahead and deal with. Because there's a lot of things in here um, that we did not get to. That's going to kind of happen when you have a group of adventurers who ostensibly absent of nothing else, all of a sudden wind up in Ravenloft, right? Um, is that there's just so much, there's so much that has to be in that mission to go ahead and make it seem realistic and make it seem complete that, uh, that it, it, it definitely had, there was a lot of stuff that had to be cut away. So sorry, go ahead. No, uh, I was actually going to kind of dovetail from that point. What I think what that tells us about the, the book, while these are solo missions, and in theory, most solo missions are quote-unquote four-hour games, uh, the reality is that these were not four-hour games. They were not four-hour games, absolutely. I, I, think, no. Maz, I think they're probably six, even six Maz, Mazroth was minimum, uh, and there are pieces that you left out of that that were... yeah. I mean, there are pieces that you added as well, but I think that was a minimum yep, sure. of, five, of a five-hour game. And I think the other ones are six-hour yep. games. So you're playing them in two sessions, not one. So our goal to play them in one session was a, a really tough challenge and a hurdle to, to, to work yep. in, something that we're taking note of. And we might say, okay, so we're going to do a mission. We're going to plan this over two sessions. So, yeah, no. That way we can do it. The challenge for us as a channel is because we're a rotating cast, we don't always, we're not always guaranteed to have the exact same people the second time. So we really yep. have to pick and choose how we do that. Yep. For you at home, take your time with it. Some of the stuff we cut away, we cut away for time. Some of it we cut away because it didn't match the characters we had at the table, but could be very useful for you at your table. Take these notes and these tips as how to manage this game manage yeah. these missions not necessarily cut out everything we cut out and do it exactly the way we did yeah it. um take it as you have to do what works for your table your timetable if you get if you're playing with a group that's playing weeknights everybody's got to work in the morning you're probably going to make similar cuts to what we make yeah absolutely i mean that's 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 like so that that's the funny thing too is that while i say that the book of the raven was my favorite of the three of these first three missions i think it's also what we wound up playing is the it's the smallest percentage of what was in the chapter um, of all the three of them. I think that like you know kind of if you think about the jo the joy of extra dimensional spaces, I think we pretty much ran a hundred percent. That was that was very very close to what's in the book, right? Um, and in uh, Mad Strauss Mighty Digressions, it was probably like eighty five percent. We did we did most of what in there. There wasn't too much extra. We cut out some stuff, but like eighty five percent of it was was as was in there. I, Book of the Raven was probably close to like fifty percent. Like it was a it was a big drop off from Mazfrost. Um, because I mean there is a 
there's a whole thing inside the chalet with the Ware Ravens that we did not even touch. Like their whole purpose for being there became something totally different. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the kind of the campaign that has begun to emerge and how we began to tie in pieces that people have experienced in the bigger campaign that we're writing now. Right. Um, and so we changed a lot of that, but there are pieces in that chalet that, easily could be an entire session unto itself with the stuff that we missed in there. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a bit where you can uh, cross over into Shadowfell proper in there. There's a, there's a lot in this, this third book, this third chapter um, that we did not get to. And that's not because of the quality of it. I actually think that the quality of it is fantastic, but again, it was, it was a cut for time and a cut for story. Once we made the decision to move to a campaign, we had to, limit or eliminate things that didn't fit the campaign yep. while still adhering to the framework of each of the missions so we could honestly and truly evaluate the missions but still provide something that was fun and unique and different. I mean, yep. nothing for nothing, there are actual plays all over the internet. We are not the only podcast that did Candle Keep, but nope. I can guarantee you we're the only ones who did the Book of the Raven the way we did Book of the Raven because yeah, absolutely. our campaign that started two missions before and will carry on into Wild by Witchlight books moving forward. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because while we did take things away from this book we also added things in so i mean think about like so you, uh ostensibly when you wind up at the beginning when you wind up in which way when you pass through the portal or when you wind up here right and that's the other thing too is that the origin of how your mission begins wasn't one that i particularly cared for the way that the mission begins basically is that a book mysteriously appears um it's got a map in it and the characters are supposed to just like follow the map and that's the map that you find in game right i wanted something with a little bit more more oomph and so that's where I kind of like drew up this entirety of like um, uh, Matrias is is being looked for, you know, that whole tie it together with the first mission, tie it into the campaign world as a whole, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that basically they accidentally get sucked into Ravenloft, right? Instead of purposefully going there, right? Um, but if you think about the map, so it's like you've got like four or five locations on the map, the encounters that the players found are not in the book, right? So the encounter with the Vistani at the horn, at the Hand and Horn, the encounter with the Wyvern at Three Tree Hill, the encounter with the Troll at Woodbridge. There's a there was an, another potential encounter that you could have run into um, at the scour- at the Scourge of the Red Worm because there was a dragon there that they could have they could have fought. So there were more encounters that they could have gone through. Because otherwise, it's just a map, and they're just walking down a road. And so it's like, so for me, it's like, well, okay. And I think that that's probably why there's so much material in Chalet Brantifax, right? I put more material uh, again, like we talked about earlier. I put more material into the exploration tier. So even the combats that they encountered on the way there were all exploratory encounters. Think about the Wyvern, right? Like. They'd been told when they met the Vistani at the Hand and Horn, watch out, there's a wyvern there, right? And then as they get there, you know, the wyvern comes by and the wyvern's just out hunting. And so who does he pick on? But he picks on Kesh, the smallest one in the party, because he's not going to pick on the 500-pound turtle. Um, and how nature you know, of the beast, uh, as it were, nature of the beast, as it were, exactly right. You know, when they get to the wood bridge, it's a bridge. There's a troll under it. Of course, there's a troll under it. 
it's a bridge. Like this is, you know, like this is, <laughs> this is like, this is storytelling 101. Like there's no, you know, and the way that, that they brilliantly Billy Goat's gruff. I, 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 right, honestly, exactly. Uh, you know, but I mean, just the way the that stop, they brilliantly, <laughs> but the way that they just brilliantly, after getting beat up by that wyvern, after they so brilliantly saw that troll and they just basically noped out and said, "Nope, we are not dealing with you today, Mister Troll." And so that kind of that kind of changed some things. And but so, uh, then ultimately, when for time the dragon encounter at the scourge to the red worm didn't happen, that's when the whole thing of like, well, on the map the volcano looks really active, but now that you see it in real life, it's dormant. You're getting the feeling that this is just a very, very old map. It starts to set up that whole bit of timelessness and how time is moving weird. And there's the weird, there's a weird relationship to where they are and where they came from and all that sort of thing, right? It starts, it really starts to set all that up. Um, but I think that's why there's so much stuff in Chalet Brantifax in the book is because there's nothing until you get there, which, you know, Obviously, I handled that a different way. I still think that the that this is that this is a great mission, and I think that there is plenty of stuff in the book to go to. So, if we were at a regular at a standard table versus a five hour actual play, do you think you would have left all the stuff at Brandifax and let it carry out for a second a second session? Same campaign, yeah. Ten hours, not five. Um. You know, no, I, I, I don't think that I, I think that I would have still run the mission the way that I ran it because I think that again because I'm playing a very exploration geared game, um, and because I want that role play to be high, I want to, I want to give the players scenarios that they need to interact with because otherwise you've got this entire map and basically it's yep you walk through the map and you get to the chalet and everything and then that's where the quest begins. That's not fun for me. And again. Everybody to each their own, right? That that's I'm not I'm not you know if that's what you want to run then that's fine. There's certainly enough there to go ahead and do on your own. I wanted it to be more about you know life's a journey, not a destination, right? So I wanted it more to be about the journey getting there and less about just being the destination. And by the way, that's in the title of the show. So <laughs> uh, I, I will second that. And as I did, I watched this episode and I say watch because I actually had the zoom feed so I could kind of see things a little differently and watch the maps that were used behind the scenes and I loved what I was seeing and how it worked out as I've said many times I'm from Ithaca New York and if anybody knows anything about Ithaca historically that is the birthplace of Odysseus I am nothing if not a person who truly believes in the journey is where the story is I mean granted there was the whole Trojan War. But <laughs> for me, the best part of all of that was Odysseus's journey home, right? And it wasn't about he got through the map and then one day he was, he was there and then the next day he was home. 20 years, he went from this place to that place to this adventure to that adventure to this adventure to there. Some of the greatest things that to this day, and they appear in the D&D game and many other games, that we deal with on a regular basis, sirens, uh, cyclops, all of those types of things, they come from that story about the journey. And so I, I agree with you. I think anytime you're given, you're, you have characters that are given a map, you got to break it up. You got to have at least one thing happen on yeah. the way. Uh, that's how I break up my stories when I'm running them homebrew. That's how I, it's one of the things that I struggle with when I do uh, the, the few times I have tried Box adventures because why isn't there anything on the way? 
I want yeah. something to happen on the way. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but you you can't give me a bridge on your map and not let me put a not not let me put a troll underneath it. Like that's just the way. That's if you give me a map with a bridge on it, that bridge is gonna have a troll underneath it. That's just or the way that it is. Blocking your travel or something. yeah, any and, number of things. You know, yeah. the other thing I like the, the trope I like to use is I like to use pilgrims going to some famous place, a la Chaucer. You yep. know, just, yeah. like that's yeah. that's a favorite of me because it's a well, sure. Great, and, well, and that's I mean that, that's the way Visani. to war drop. Yeah. yeah, that that was the Vistani. Absolutely, like they were there. They were there. So okay, so the Vistani were there for two reasons: one, to go ahead and frustrate Kilvarex, mission accomplished, and two, expertly, expertly right? Double speaking bastards that you know that made him miss Simeon, and two, to go ahead and again tell the players that they were in a place that was inherently different from where they came from, that they had actually gone someplace else, and that it was weird. Right. That's the entire reason why they were there. And and that scene probably took a half an hour or 45 minutes of just conversation between the Vistani and the players. But it was critical to laying out the story. Uh, It's the story based on the chapter that I wanted to go ahead and tell. So, you know, that's. We've talked a lot. We've been on for for more than a minute about the Hand of Keep missions. Yeah and how how they were run what we did what are your overall thoughts on the book that changed from our preview and our first glance episode to yep. now uh what has changed well i will tell you um uh before we read all the missions um we had there were some things that we wondered and the big question, because we are a group of homebrewing storytellers, the big question we had was whether or not we could take any one of these missions in space and drop it into another game and have it make sense. I think the way that we have gone about the first three missions proves, that at least for those first three missions, that that answers a resounding yes, that you can take any of these three missions weave them into your campaign. And if you need a way, you know, like that you can, by taking a little bit at the beginning and maybe taking a little bit at the end, you can build a bridge into these missions, do the mission and then a bridge back out. So I think it was nice to see that that was confirmed because that was, that was one of the things that I was worried about was whether or not these would actually work. They said that they worked that way, but the question was whether or not they actually would. So at least for the first three, I think that that was proven. As a player and as a storyteller, the thing that changed for me was I thought there were brilliant pieces within the adventures that could also be lifted. Like when I look through these missions and I pull the animated books that fits in any library, any wizard's tower, any dungeon. Uh, if you're looking for a quick encounter, put some animated books up there uh, yep. at first or second level. They will jack your fighters up. so you know they're there uh where rats at low levels they're pretty good the 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 bizarre what a great scene just that map was so dynamic uh i love you bought the map pack on uh on dm's guild yeah exactly so if you if you go to field trip episode two i mentioned what the map pack is in there uh but yeah no i I bought a i bought a map that was that was fantastic it was uh i love that map it was gorgeous it filled it did all uh all the right things uh it was beautiful we utilized a great tool for the players owlbear uh or owlbear rodeo um 
we are, they are not sponsors of this show. Hashtag all your boys, TTJ. <laughs> but loved how that worked. Like that is the first VTT that I have chosen to use successfully. It yep. chosen to use and use successfully. And this is me. I am not. Uh, uh, I am not a technophobe as much as mm. I am just not. I am not extremely well versed. Nor have I chosen to put enough time to get better versed at most technologies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. right? Uh, I'm not afraid of it. It's just the time. You and choose brain not energy. to engage with it. Yeah, the time <laughs> and brain energy to get good at some of the stuff. I'm. I'm usually not in for that. Yeah. Uh, however, Owl Bear was low on the loadout of brain expenditure to get a lot of payoff at the virtual table. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can't sing enough praises about that. This game brought me to that. The map packs you purchased, the Book of the Raven map, that yep. fight, the Wyvern, that map was beautiful. Yeah. So very well done. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 it, and the troll map really... The action that takes place and what the characters are able to do could not have happened if they didn't have a great visual like that map. Yep. If they yep. were able to do that because of those visuals. So it would have been uh, really, really difficult to do that theater of the mind. Absolutely. And um, I, I did find it here. So all the maps that I used for both Mathsroth's Mighty Digressions and for uh, the Book of the Raven came from heroic maps, which you can find on DM's Guild. So shout out to those guys uh, for a great job in accentuating. This, this great and fantastic product that has great liftable monsters, creatures, and yep. uh, NPC types. The, the Avowed were a lot of fun to roleplay against or with. Uh, <laughs> there's just so many cool things about it yep. that were just a lot of fun. It, yeah. it, I'm so glad we did it. So am I. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're going to be continuing with the AP too, and that it's going to be, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be seeing some new dimensions of it uh, coming forward here. Um, but I'm so glad that we took the time to go ahead and start playing through, uh, through some of these missions. I, I don't think that this will be the last thing that we see from Candlekeep. Uh, so uh, yeah, absolutely. Keep, yeah, keep, it's uh, keep the a book that'll come back. I mean, there's going to be a point where, hey, let's 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 slide back to the keep and. Check yep. in and see how uh, the avowed are doing, and, and absolutely see how Sprocket's doing with yep. his new job, <laughs> uh, and go from there. Yeah. But this was uh, this was a yeah. lot of fun to play. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch the episode that I watched. Yeah. Candlekeep was a great book, a, really a great welcome book, yeah. addition to the D and D stable. Yep, uh, a welcome addition to my bookshelf and my collection of role playing books and D and D books. It is not one that is likely to catch a lot of dust in the years yep. to come. Nope. I, I can certainly see myself going back to it uh, quite a bit. All right. Well, thank you uh, very much, everybody, for uh, listening. Hope that you enjoyed this. I hope that you're enjoying the Candlekeep Mysteries. I hope that you are enjoying uh, our actual play episodes. I know we're having a whole bunch of fun uh, throwing them out to you guys. So uh, uh, the next one um, – so – uh, this episode today is going to be coming to you mid-October. Um, like I said, we've already recorded uh, session four. We are about to record session five. Uh, and uh, session six is uh, going to be scheduled here in just a moment. So and that, that, will round out, uh, that will round out the actual play sessions for 2021 after session six. So uh, 2022 will certainly bring a ton more actual plays. We've got several of them already lined up that I'm super excited for. We got a lot of good stuff uh, coming in. Uh 
Lee Winnicka, thank you again, as always. I appreciate uh, appreciate you joining me on here, uh, and uh, appreciate all the complimentary things that you said about the storytelling style. I'm glad that you're uh, glad that you're enjoying the game. I love it. I am actually working in and planning on working in some of that stuff into my ongoing games as well. Now that I've seen them in practice, three yep. separate sessions, uh, I think I've got a good enough handle where I can start doing them. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at ttjourneys, And join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays will feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.